Janet Maslin of the New York Times called this movie a wonderfully mad odyssey. Washington Post critic Dessen Thompson said this offbeat documentary-like comedy becomes geometrically funnier as it goes along. And Frederick and Marianne Broussat of Spirituality and Practice called it a hysterically funny movie about sex, marriage, and the surprises that make life worth living. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Flirting with Disaster. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! It's time for Ruined Childhoods. My name's Dan. With me, as always, is John. Hey! How's it going, John? It's going all right. Um, no notes. <laughs> Nothing. Things are good. I'm excited to talk. I'm excited to talk about this movie. That's what's going on. I'm excited to talk about flirting with disaster. Uh, and uh, what I did actually want to mention first before we roll into it, and uh, this kind of just came up because I I just kind of cribbed that line from Wayne's World that with me is always because uh, oh. you know for me it's party and, on Dan and with me is always is Garth party on Garth. Yeah, excellent. Uh, So, John, uh, partially based on on your recommendation, because I was a little skeptical, I checked out the first few episodes of Mike Myers' show, The Pentaverit, Pentaverit, on Netflix. And, like, you definitely have to be in the mood for the the Mike Myers humor and ready for Mike Myers. And Mike Myers, well, yeah, really, because he doesn't play every character, but plays a lot and i'm into it like i'm really enjoying it i'm even like even the cringy jokes are done well Uh uh-huh like i don't want to i like not to give any away the one the one that i'll give away is the one that keeps coming back in my mind that i just keep chuckling at and it's uh one of his characters in in it is this canadian this kind of like older Canadian reporter, kind of like the on the spot, like the guy who they send to all the conventions. I mean, in in this case, specifically that. And but he's it's kind of like he is he's old news. And when they're showing his little segment where he's at this wildlife convention, he keeps doing all these awful puns and he's posing with like this taxidermied stag or deer deer, not a stag because yeah wouldn't make sense otherwise but he he's and 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 he just looks he just goes not tonight dear i've got a headache (laughs) 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 it's so stupid but so another joke that i love in that show (laughs) is the way that when it's in Canada, it's in standard def. And then when it goes into America, it turns into HD. 
I was just telling Alicia, my wife, about that earlier. She's she's not as much of a comedy fan. She has been fixated on Criminal Minds recently and has been burning okay. through that series. But I told her about that because of the scene when they actually cross the border. Yeah. And half of the screen is like it's full screen, low def. And then the other side is widescreen, high def. Yeah. And the card. I mean- so so funny and so cl- a lot of the like jokes a lot of the humor about canada versus america you know all the swearing in america uh-huh really funny really cl- just kind of fun and uh, a good time and you could i mean they definitely let mike myers just do his thing yeah and you could tell because it also <laughs> co-stars uh rock and roll manager shep gordon <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Mike Myers made a documentary about, so it's clear that there's, it's just like somebody who he respects and admires and is friends with, but is by no means like a famous actor or anything. No, no. And, and it, it, is that documentary? I wasn't sure if I was, I was like, why do I know this? So that is a real person. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, Alice Cooper's talent manager. And it's the documentary is called Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. It was from 2013. Oh, yes. Yes. Mike Myers directed it. And um, yeah, I watched it. It's good. You know, it's it's clear that like Mike Myers just really likes this guy and wanted I, to make a documentary Did he meet him, him like when Alice Cooper cameoed in Wayne's World? Or? I have to I, imagine I that that's yeah. probably when it started. And it's kind of cool that... He formed some this relationship with this, ta- you know, this talent manager, this this rock and roll manager, and I uh, over the course of the years made a documentary about, found him fascinating enough to make a documentary about him, and then cast him as one of the <laughs> members of the Pentaveret. Oh yeah, the only one yeah. who he doesn't play. <laughs> well, aside from the. Uh, the the one that they bring on, I don't want to like talk about the. No, but isn't he playing? Shep? No. He's not? No. <laughs> I thought that was him. Nope. Oh, shit. No, that's... <laughs> it looks that's like Mike guy. Myers. It looks at like first, Mike Myers in the At prosthetics. first, I thought that it was him, and then I was like, nope, that's actually just Shep Gordon. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. That's and you can tell better. because as you get go on in the in the show, you see that like he doesn't really have very many lines, and he keeps on just telling Alice Cooper stories. <laughs> Yeah, but it's but he plays like a Mike Myers character. Yeah, but his role is definitely a lot more subdued because well, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's but not um, Mike Myers. But oh, I didn't even I I that's I really funny. Wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. The real dude. So, yeah. So there we go. Uh, anyway, so I, uh, hey. I know, and I feel like it's it's always appropriate for us to talk about shows and and things like the Pentaveret because those are exactly the types of things that we would dream up on this show as Pentaveret was uh, brought upon because of a joke from Sorry Married an Axe Murderer, and all of these years later, it is just this like pseudo spinoff series from Soy Married an Axe Murderer. And yeah. it's the kind of thing that on this podcast where we talk about these movies and we think about all the things that we, all the ways that we would bring them back today, that is, the Pentaveret is definitely one that I would probably throw out there for, uh, sorry, Married and Axe Murderer. Anyway. Yeah. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, it's good for a chuckle. And I personally well, I'm glad speaking, that you're watching it. You know, it's 
it's fun. It's just I fun. tried it out. You know, I was like, ah, let me I'm like, ah, I have some time. Let me check it out. And, and I I giggled my tongue. Debbie Mazar is in it. Debbie Mazar is fantastic. Yes. Love, and it was also funny because also in Sorry Married Next Murderer. But it was funny because like when I first when when she first came on, I was like, "Is that Debbie Mazar? Like, could that be yeah. Debbie Mazar?" And, and sure it is, sure it is. Yes, Debbie anyway, Mazar. So anyway, um, you want to giggle? Check out the Pentaveret. If it doesn't make you giggle, ah, uh, okay, eh, I'm not sorry. for you. That's fine. Yeah. All right, not for yeah. you. Not your cup of tea. Yeah. So, so flirting with disaster. Flirting with disaster. Yeah, so it's really funny because I think, Dan, you had mentioned to me after I brought this up with you that you had been thinking about this movie, but I was thinking about this movie because I originally was thinking that for our theme of these two months, May and June, that we should cover, you know, family, not not family films, but films about families, typically mm-hmm. messed up families, uh, to in honor of Father's Day and Mother's Day, and... Uh, I was originally thinking Spanking the Monkey, David O. Russell's directorial <laughs> debut, but I was going to just say that to you as a joke because God, no, we are not talking about that. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's a very good movie, and especially for like a directorial debut or feature debut from David O. Russell, but uh, for anybody who doesn't know what Spanking the Monkey is about, uh, Jeremy Davies plays a, I think, college student who is taking care of his mother and ends up in a uh, intimate relationship with her, to put it lightly. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a bit of an edible comedy. Uh, yeah, um, but it's it very awkward. Yeah, but it was very well received. Well done. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it actually it's one of the it, it's a movie that. Uh, if I remember correctly, premiered not at Sundance, but at Slamdance. Oh, did it premiere at Slamdance? The, I, I'm pretty sure it was one of those that premiered at Slamdance because I I watched that movie. I pursued it right after I saw Flirting with Disaster. And I saw, I, I saw Flirting with Disaster on VHS. It came out during the indie movie boom of the 90s. Right. And like where... It was, you know, the, the oh god, the glory days of of uh, I even hate to say it, the glory days of Miramax, uh, right? But like Harvey Weinstein aside, the studio was supporting a lot of really exciting and new artistic voices, and you know, so they released "Flirting with Disaster." And I saw, when I saw Flirting with Disaster, I mean, there are scenes and lines in this movie that have stayed with me from I, my first viewing. I wrote down a few. We can get the, to those in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I mean. But just saying, uh, like, I saw this movie and then when I saw, okay, he directed a movie before this, mm-hmm. Spanking the Monkey, and uh, stars a young Jeremy Davies, I believe his film debut. Oh, could have been. Yeah. And so I checked it out and yeah, it's just one of those weird one, like weird nineties indie comedies that dares to go where most don't go. Yeah. He was in the movie, a movie called gun crazy from 1992 with Ah, drew Barrymore. Um, But I, you know, not a starring role, and then was in Spanking the Monkey 
and Nell, both in 1994, and then went on to Twister, and then would go on to Saving Private Ryan, and um, a, a movie that I'm particularly fond of called CQ, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people would know him from Lost. And yeah, he's just had like a really cool career as kind of one of those people who you see him and be like, hey, it's that guy, you know, right, that kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, he uh, pops up a lot. But yeah, for yeah. me, I mean, that was the first place I saw him was in Spanking the Monkey. Pretty much everyone saw him. Yeah, uh, fascinating, fascinating film. And for anybody who uh, is, you know, we were talking about David O. Russell a lot. So David O. Russell, and this is just the... You know, not a lot of movies, but all very distinct and all very like they they share kind of a a, a personality. And it's Spank the Monkey, Flirtic Disaster, Three Kings in '99, I Heart Huckabees in 2004, The Fighter in 2010, which is one of my favorite movies. Which is, I feel like, a surprising thing about myself because it is certainly not the type of movie that I would think I would be so drawn to. But I think that I just love the. The style, the I mean, the performances are amazing. The oh, man, commitment yeah. that everybody has given to it, and I uh, just the way that the that a uh, boxing and drug abuse story are like told and interwoven is is fascinating. Uh, then really well done. Very famously, Silver Linings Playbook in 2012, American Hustle 2013. Uh, in 2015, a f- I mean, there's the movie Joy, but also something called Accidental Love that he kind of Alan Smithied himself out of. Uh, I don't think with that name, but definitely used a different name because there were a lot of problems with that production. And I remember when that was going into production under a different name, and I was really excited because I love David O. Russell's films. Right. Um And I didn't remember hearing anything about it. I think it was called like Nailed or something like that. And then... um yeah, then I guess it was. It's been kind of released on VOD, but like nobody talks about it. But it's with, um, I think, like Jessica Biel and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. Catherine yeah. Keener's in it. James Marsden, and then uh, there's a new movie coming out this year, this November, called uh, Amsterdam, and that is with uh, Christian Bale. A lot of the like David O. Russell players. players. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, I think that, well, Christian Bale and Robert De Niro, mostly. But Dan, listen to this cast list. We got Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Rami Malek, Zoe Saldana, Robert De Niro, the aforementioned Mike Myers, get this, Timothy Oliphant, Michael Shannon, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Taylor Swift, so in many ways, this is a movie that's kind of being marketed towards us. I mean, like, definitely you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm, I, I am a, a fan of of all of the people, <laughs> the aforementioned people. Uh, but like you said, Til- Timothy Oliphant, and that's, I mean, you have, yeah. you got me, you got and me. And it's a, it's a 1930s crime film, and. Yes. I mean, I'm I'm really excited about it. And before we get into talking about flirting disaster, I do want to address that uh, as much as, and I made sure to specify that I love David O. Russell's films. Mm. David O. Russell uh, is historically a a difficult person to work with, and uh, especially if you are a woman, 
Um, there were definitely a lot of problems that came up on Amer the set of American Hustle uh, and also emails that he sent to Amy Adams, uh, who he had worked with before in the, on The Fighter. And uh, you do see a lot of these David O. Russell players, people that come back a lot, and one of them being Christian Bale, who was in The Fighter, uh, I mean, is, a, is going to be starring in Amsterdam, uh, American Hustle as well. Yeah. And Christian Bale definitely went on Amy Adams' defense and like really was outspoken against David O. Russell. And it makes me really curious about somebody like that who continues to work with the director who has is problematic. And it makes me wonder, like, has there been any sort of like ironing out of things? I mean, uh, you know, Talking about people who are in a lot of his movies, or at least more than one, we do have Lily Tomlin, who we see is in Florida Disaster, who joins him again for I Heart Huckabees, and there's this infamous blowout between the two of them that you can find on YouTube, um, in which he just Ooh. goes at, completely out of hand. Does not treat Lily Tomlin with respect at at all and lily i'm not tomlin. saying i'm not saying that in the context of like li the legend lily tomlin i mean yeah. the human being it does not treat a right human yeah um so and actually you know i was going to suggest that maybe perhaps the lack of success for joy joy really didn't have the success mm. that others did and i remember watching it i remember it was good i enjoyed it I, I thought it was good. I always I think I, I think Robert De Niro, uh, his best acting in the last maybe like tw like real acting acting in the last 20 years has been in David O. Russell's movies. I thought Silver Lining Playbooks. Uh, I mean, performances across the board in that were fantastic. But I, I really it was it was nice to see De Niro. Acting and not. Just kind of, you know, I mean, and we'll talk about Meet the Parents, of course, today. Uh, yeah. But like, you know, he just kind of, you know, De Niroed his way through those. And I really liked Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, great movie. And and Robert De Niro is great in Silver Linings Playbook. But uh, also, sorry, to, to, I'm sorry. I'm just going to throw back in. You yeah. look at these actors who keep coming back, Christian Bale and Robert De Niro. First of all, known uh, like they've they've they're first of all, they're men. Secondly, yeah, they've both worked with and I, I don't I can't think of any stories of De Niro being particularly difficult to work with. But we know Christian Bale has had his. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. His moments. So. Um, Terminator Salvation, I believe. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I would imagine that that like be, because first of all, they're men and they're also like heavyweight actors. Uh, Russell probably doesn't fuck with them. <laughs> Well, I also do want to mention, because you talked about Joy, you know, Jennifer Lawrence has worked with David O. Russell several times on Joy, for which she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. She won the Golden Globe. Um, She's very good. Yeah. And uh, also won a Teen Choice Award for, for Joy. But, you know, she also worked with him on Silver Linings Playbook and- uh, American Hustle. And American Hustle, of course. And I just feel like- the difference between somebody like Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence is that Jennifer Lawrence, I feel like, I don't know, like she and David O. Russell, I think, kind of speak more of the same language. And I feel like they work together probably in a, in a way that's different from the way that like an Amy Adams or a Lily Tomlin 
works with somebody like uh, Jennifer Lawrence because, and I don't know if it's just like, you know, her career, she does, you know, maybe a lot of other more dramatic things or it's something like The Hunger Games where it's a very different kind of vibe and she's given a different type of platform in a movie like a David O. Russell movie, you know, where it's, you know, kind of witty and smart and she's kind of put in a different position there. And uh, I think I wonder if that kind of makes the difference for her. I mean, had she won two Oscars for his movies? Uh, one, she, I'm, she won for Silver Linings, right? Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, yeah, I just want to see what all of the. Uh, oh, there were definitely a lot of uh, awards won for Silver Linings Playbook. So that one, yeah, she won Best Actress. That's the only Academy Award that that one won. Um, but it was certainly, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Bradley Cooper. Did she Supporting win something for- Supporting Actor for De Niro. What's up? Oh, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Um, did she win something for American Hustle? For American Hustle, let me just quickly- I feel like I remember she won, she's won like two Oscars. Uh. Do, 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 do. Uh, well, I mean, American Hustle is nominated for like pretty much everything, but nobody won. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence won. Did she win for Winter's Bone? She was nominated for nominated Winter's for Bone. Winter's Bone. No, I, um, I might be. I might. I'm. I'm. I might be remembering incorrectly, or perhaps I saw Into the Future where she wins another <laughs> Academy Award. I it, uh, could happen. Could happen. Yeah, you never know. So anyway, um. Well, apparently, from what I had read, uh, flirting with disaster was not free of drama because he clashed with Ben Stiller. Yeah, on on quite a few things. So, um, anyway, John, why don't you? Uh, I'm interested oh, to I hear. I want to add one. I want to okay. add one more thing. Yes, uh, I did have an interaction with David O. Russell when I saw an advanced screening of I Heart Huckabees when I was living in Philadelphia. And I don't remember exactly what I asked him, but because there was like a Q&A after the screening and his response was kind of dickish. I think that it was about like Mark Wahlberg's performance because I was really like taken by surprise by the comedic aspects of his of Mark Wahlberg's performance. And, you know, I had seen Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights and I think that his response was like, um, have you seen Three Kings? And <laughs> and I don't consider Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> performance in Three Kings particularly comedic, but certainly it's a strong performance. I, I'd say one of my, you know, one of the performances of Mark Wahlberg's that I particularly like more than others. Um, Three Kings is a great movie on which he had a famous clash of George Clooney. But uh, yeah, anyway, but so I do have a, a personal moment where like he was a little rude to me, like dude asking question in the audience. So this is not just hearsay. This is not just rumor and innuendo that David O. Russell is, is difficult and, and, and has uh, a problem. This is like you're here. This is primary source right here. <laughs> That's okay? true. Right. right. But, uh, but if Throw only I could have, if only I could have talked to him about flirting with disaster 1996. Yeah, and 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 Huckabee's is such a fascinating movie. Uh, Huckabee's is, a, is its own category of movie. It really is. It really is. So maybe another time we'll we'll get. To, maybe I'd another, love to. Yes. So flirting with disaster. Yeah. 
Do you want me to do you want me to synopsize? Please do. In an effort to help their marriage and try to finally name their baby, Mel and Nancy set off on a journey to track down Mel's biological parents. Along with them on their journey is Tina, a doctoral grad student who works with the adoption agency. Going through a host of issues of her own, Tina is also there to document the process of Mel's family reunion as part of her thesis regarding the long-term psychological effects of closed adoptions. Not too happy with this plan are Mel's parents, Pearl and Ed, two neurotic, with a capital N, New Yorkers, with a capital N-Y, especially since this plan could interfere with Ed's 60th birthday celebration. But the trip to visit Mel's mother in San Diego should be quick enough to make it work. But when they discover too late that an error has been made when looking up the adoption information, Mel, Nancy, Tina, and the nameless baby must take off to the Midwest to reconnect with his alleged father, a trucker named Fitz Brudreau. But before they discover that Fritz is not the actual father, Mel ends up accidentally destroying a government building. Lucky for them, one of the cops who brings them in happens to be an old high school friend of Nancy's. He and his partner, both in work and in life, join the crew as they head to New Mexico to meet Mel's actual parents, the Schlichtings. On this journey, cop Tony ends up putting the moves on Nancy, but that doesn't compare to Mel and Tina's will-they-won't-they tryst, and as they are welcomed by the Schlichtings with open arms, Mel's biological brother Lonnie has different plans for him, of the acidic variety. But the family dinner soon turns farcical, especially once Pearl and Ed arrive, worried that something had gone wrong due to a panicked call from Mel at a strange B&B. With the family together, multiple affairs imploding, and a giant mix-up over white Ford Taurus rentals, Mel and Nancy are able to work out their problems and pick a name for their baby. That's the long and short of it. So as Mel, we have Ben Stiller. As Nancy, we have Patricia Arquette. Amazing. With a capital A, if I'm going to go ahead on that on that thread. Uh, Tina is played by Taya Leone. Pearl and Ed Coplin are Mary Tyler oh. Moore and George Siegel. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Chef's oh, kiss. Oh, God. Every second of screen time they have is wonderful. Wonderful. And they don't waste a second at all. No. Uh, then we have uh, Richard and Mary Schlichting, which is uh, Lily Tomlin and Alan Alda. Again, amazing. Uh, And their son Lonnie is played by Glenn Fitzgerald. Amazing. And I do want to mention uh, David Patrick Kelly as uh, as Fritz Boudreau, the best named character in all of cinema. Who has perhaps my favorite line in the movie. (laughs) Oh, I know exactly what it is. Yes. So when I'm going to tee it up for you, then I'll let you say it. But uh, when Mel explains to Fritz, who hadn't been given any type of heads up that there was going to be a visit or anything, uh, when Mel explains that the adoption agency told Mel that Fritz is his biological father, he says, I've dropped a lot of baby batter in my day, but uh, I I, I didn't write down the rest of the quote. But I dropped a lot of baby batter in my day. This is the first son I ever met. Yeah. Yes. David Patrick Kelly... So, David so Patrick Kelly, who we've talked about before, he was yep. in Warriors. Warriors. The Warriors come out and play. Uh, he is brilliant. And before we get uh, before we before we get caught up in the brilliant performances, there's I think at least two more to uh, to acknowledge. Oh, who did I forget? Uh, uh, Richard Jenkins oh, and Josh Richard Rowland. Jenkins. 
Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot about them. Yes, the cops, Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. In, Tony and, um, oh, what was uh, Richard Jenkins' was it character? Phil? Um, uh, let me, let me, let me look at, look at it. But there, oh God, there's, I, Richard Jenkins is such a treasure. Richard Jenkins is great. And this is a role that, I, I mean, you look at his career and you see just such a diverse platter of different types of roles uh, in which he looks the same in all of them, by, by the way. I, uh, I, you know, I was thinking about his performance Paul. from The Shape of Water. Paul, that's right. I was thinking of his performance in Shape of Water earlier, and I was just, you know, just thinking about it wowed me because he was so amazing in that. And, um, yeah, he's, he's so good in this as uh, as Tony's partner, Josh Brolin's character. And I and Josh Brolin's character, you know, they are... Josh Brolin's character is bisexual, and the two of them are in a same-sex relationship and you know for a movie that came out in 1996 the way that they handle and speak about that relationship is very kind of matter of fact neither of them play it up as if they are doing a like a a homosexual stereotype no kind of uh vibe um there's there's definitely like from Pearl at the end when like she's with them some judgment, but it's not out of character for her. No, so no, because she judges not, everybody. Because she judges everybody, so it's not a reflection of the film's voice. It's very much her voice. Well, and also because the topic. First of all, they're they're married, Paul and Tony. And, right, right, right. And they are pursuing adoption. They talk to yes. Tina about about adoption. So yes. really uh forward thinking in in that manner and but also in their in their treatment of Paul and Tony as a couple as, as a married yeah. as a married couple who are having some uh who are, have some tension in their marriage which is kind of the, the one of, and so one of my I don't remember what the line is and I couldn't find it anywhere and I wasn't able to turn on stars to remind myself of what it was. But uh, there's this great moment where, you know, Paul is continuously the fifth wheel on this journey. And uh, there are these two white Ford Taurus rentals that they have when they finally get to New Mexico. And in one car is Mel and uh, Tina. And in the other car is uh, Tony and Nancy. And Neither one of them wants Paul in the car, and he's just like, "Oh, should I go with illicit affair A or illicit, illicit affair couple B?" Number, illicit couple yeah. number. Well, they keep I and they because they keep stopping and switching him from car to car, and I love also though that that echoes that what happens on the airplane, right? When yeah. they're Paul, would you find another seat? Like, yeah. I also poor Paul. Josh he- Brolin on the airplane. And and it's funny because so as as we've mentioned in recent episodes, um, we uh, have a new baby in the family uh, recently. So the idea of having a baby in, in this movie, there were a lot of things that just uh, that were a little funnier, like when uh, Paul uh, Tony, uh, Josh Brolin is on the plane and uh, Patricia Arquette. Uh, Sorry, Nancy is is nursing yeah. and he gives her nursing tips to avoid nipple soreness. Yeah. And he's like, well, you see the way that you're holding him now, he's pulling down. If you bring him from the front and it was 
it just well, is... and it's also brilliant the what that sets up because he says that he used to date a a midwife or a doula or something like that, and yeah. it refers to it as being a woman. So it establishes that he is bisexual, and so like it, you, you know, it kind of puts the pieces together for you of just like a oh okay, so this might not be an entirely you know innocent situation going on over here and uh yeah and that goes in an interesting direction (laughs) it goes in a very 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 interesting direction that's for sure i'd say that's like the you know that's where the movie crescendos for sure well Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) but and uh just to go back to uh poor 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 paul you know (laughs) i mentioned in the in the synopsis how uh the the dinner that they have uh kind of goes goes haywire and that's because Lonnie who is I guess like a really great chef but like really <laughs> begrudgingly so uh well he's bitter because he has to make this special meal for Mel right uh, yeah, yeah Lonnie yeah. would you make your quail the special brother is coming <laughs> yeah and he's uh like brushing this like marinade on it which you I guess is supposed to imply that that is the acid or LSD, whatever it is that window pane, window pane, window pane. And, um, but he puts it down in front of Mel who then switches seats with Paul because, uh, Lily Tomlin's character wants her, her boy <laughs> to sit next to her boys, which is such a, it's such a perfect thing. And of course, and it's like, yeah, that's what would happen. And oh, then, and then so over funny. the course of eating the dinner, watching Paul, Watching him, just like on the side of the of the frame, yep, eating this food is magical, and just like slowly getting more and more effed up. And then, mm-hmm. what does he say? He's like, "I'm seeing colors I don't want to see." <laughs> yeah, it's like, is this a musical table? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and he plays he plays hallucinating in such a not over the top way like he figured out how to do it in a way that like really felt like he's panicking but also like having a complete experience right right and of course this then leads to and this is how wonderful the script is because everything like you said the the running joke with paul leads to him eating the the laced quail yeah and then and then, uh, you know, because up until this point, the the Schlichtings, which, by the way, I don't know how many people out there grew up knowing someone with that name, but I had, uh, I, I, you know, someone I knew from middle school. Okay, that was his last name, and to to have it be in the in the movie, it was just it, it was like oh that like that that's great. Um, so the the Schlichtings who. The, they tell the whole story and I don't need to give too much away, but they had to give Mel up for adoption because they were going to prison. Yeah. Uh, for, for, was it for drug manufacturing? It was for drug manufacturing. Yeah. 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 And, um, so they don't know that Paul is, that Paul and Tony are agents until Paul is tripping yeah. and pulls his gun and badge. Right. And they're and, and on top of that, they're they're like you know ATF, they're AT, ATF agents, right? Yeah, yeah. So 
that and that leads to and I love how kind of casual they are about how like okay Mary's a wonderful guide yeah and she's <laughs> guiding him through the trip and, oh and Alan Alda oh, Alan perfect in this role so great he just he's so uh, Alan Alda just has this wonderful like laid back like just enjoying life manner that when it's disrupted by something like this it's really funny to watch him play it and glenn fitzgerald rounds out the trio wonderfully um yeah and uh you know going into the lab and everything they have this whole family operation set up there they're they're making yeah it's kind of it's kind of amazing and another great thing that comes back there is um ronald reagan who we first see his image in the home of the the first person. Right. That- Valerie Sweeney, played by Celia Weston, who's fantastic. And uh, so what happens with uh, the first alleged mother, uh, you know, before they figure out that it is, you know, an error uh, that the wrong birth date was put in or something like that, is, you know, they walk into this, this house in San Diego and... Uh, it is, you know, she's a very nice woman, but you'd start to see the hints and it, like there's the portrait of Ronald Reagan. Uh she gives Nancy a pendant with their I think it's like Beauregard, like it's a, it's a Confederate general that well, yeah. was an ancestor and they're thinking, "Oh, we'll name the baby Beauregard, we'll call, you know, Bo Copeland and it'll be so great and everything." And then um like these, his two, as he learns, but we figure out soon that they are not his sisters. These like two tall, blonde volleyball players. It's so, it, I feel like that is a very David O. Russell choice. Yeah. And one of them played by uh, Beth at the time, Ostrowski, now right. Beth, Beth Stern, married to yeah. Howard Stern. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's just it's it's they're they're comically taller than he is. He, you know, Ben Stiller. This is very early in his his acting career. He's got this dark hair, and you know, uh, he looks and he like, has as as uh, you know they as uh, Fritz and and his friend point out a quote unquote Jewy look. Yeah, and I love the way also that they justify why Fritz was involved and connected with the Schlichtings. Because <laughs> what he's saying is that he and um, what was... Mary. Mary. I-, I was just trying to see what the character's name was, but Lily Tomlin's character, Mary. Yeah. Uh, that he and Mary were together, and he was in the Hells Angels at the time, and that rich people like to hang out with the Hells Angels as kind of like a status symbol kind of like a you know i'm cool i'm gonna hang out with the hell's angels and that's what uh i'm now i'm blanking on richard schlichting yeah uh, you know he hung out with her and then they started seeing each other got her pregnant and then he had to bring the baby to the adoption agency as you said because they were going to jail um but yeah, it was so funny because they were just like, doesn't he look like that guy? You know, the, the needle Jew dick. Face. Yeah, needle dick. Uh, uh, and, and one of the funny threads throughout this movie is that they no one can pronounce schlichting. And uh, schlickling, shit king. And the shit then kings. when. Yeah. Shit, yeah. And then when um, they go to this B&B, which uh, Mel 
claims he's not a B&B guy. He hates B&Bs. There's the little old lady and the cat that's always everywhere. And like then, of course, mm-hmm. they go to this place that's exactly that. And he's on the phone that he's not allowed to be on. And he's being rushed. And he's talking to his parents as they have the 60th birthday cake in front of them, you know, being the over-the-top, you know, parents that, you know, the smothering parents that they are. And, you know, it's, of course, like, there's they're waiting for him to walk through the door and then he calls and and they can't hear what he's saying because he's rushed and he's trying to be quiet because he's not supposed to be on the phone and he says schlichting and they're just like schlit shit king amazing yeah is so funny and the way especially the way mary tyler moore (laughs) keeps saying it and oh mary tyler moore so so perform i'd say performance of a lifetime if she wasn't mary tyler moore i know right (laughs) <laughs> right. But still, I mean, but also it's kind of not the performance you it not. Oh, no, she's you, playing way against type. Not what we've seen from Mary Tyler Moore no. before. George, no. George Siegel. Yeah, that yeah, that, that works. Yes, that, that works for him. Yeah. Um. Now, speaking of that brings us to Ben Stiller, who, yeah. uh, you know, of course, is is Ben Stiller and, you know, act not just an actor, writer, director. And this is not his first film uh not by a long shot but in looking at his filmography i'm pretty sure this is the prototype for the ben stiller like nebbish character that he plays in meet the parents along came polly envy uh night at the museum right the kind of yeah awkward stumbling over himself character right and i'm pretty sure this is where we first see it (laughs) yeah because before this you know the things that are really notable that we would have seen him in uh are reality bites uh heavyweights which we've covered on this show and um i mean this is the same year as happy gilmore and the cable guy so the cable guy is probably like the closest well, he direct, the, but he directed the Cable Guy. He was, he's in it. He plays like the Men- yeah. Menendez. Oh yeah, he's the Menendez. Brothers. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But but up until that, because Happy Gilmore, he just he plays the orderly at the at the oh, home. So good. Uh, you know Tony Perkis in Heavyweights. Heavyweights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know in Reality Bites, he's kind of that like no. slick, cool, like TV exec. Um, uh, yeah, he's a yuppie. I think Empire of the Sun might have been like the first thing I saw him in, where he's a he's a POW. Well, yeah, uh, that was 87, his yeah. first year in film. He was in Empire of the Sun, Shoe Shine, and Hot Pursuit. I mean, I can't speak for that, but <laughs> when you, if you see Hot Pursuit, the disaster. John Cusack. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. And yes, uh, Jerry Stiller is, I think, a much bigger role in that one than Ben Stiller is. Yeah. But I, when you think about that Ben Stiller character that comes up in all those other movies, this is where yeah this is where he was birthed this is this is the cinematic debut of yeah. the ben stiller nebish <laughs> yeah I, absolutely i mean this movie i think shares a lot of qualities with what could be a woody allen movie you know if you could easily see woody allen making this movie and casting himself as the main character or these days casting somebody who would do a, an impression of him basically what's yeah what's having your face? two beautiful women uh 
except like the women would if Woody Allen was in it, uh, the his character Scarlett would Johansson be older and yeah, the it would be like Scarlett Johansson, uh, like Dakota Fanning. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I feel like this this shares a lot of those same. You know, uh, there's a pacing to it that feels very Woody Allen. Um, certainly, the neuroticism of not only the main character, but his parents who are clearly causing him a lot of his anxiety. I think uh, a lot of the, the the style of it as well, kind of a lot of the handheld movement, mm-hmm. uh, camera movement, similar to some of what you'd see in like Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah. So it definitely has that that DNA to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And but yeah, but it it's still very clearly as we now know a David O. Russell movie, whereas at the time that style was just being defined. And you know, he's he's one of those directors that just like you you can tell a David O. Russell movie after you know, just in a few minutes. It's like there's well, something about this. I don't know, but I mean, like ha- had the fighter been released and had I not know like I There's know. a lot of things about the fighter that are very David O. Russell. The okay, sisters, I mean, I the sisters are very David O. Russell. Oh, oh yeah, the sisters yeah. are a very David O. Russell yeah. kind of vibe. I uh, I feel like the way that Amy Adams' character uh, interacts with the sisters is a very David O. Russell thing. The the pacing of the conversations between Melissa Leo. And uh, Christian Bale feel very David O. Russell to me. Uh, yeah, so. it's been a while. I mean, I haven't. I only saw it once, not because oh. I didn't like it, but because I thought it was just like a. It was a really powerful film. It's a very powerful film, yeah, and not the type of thing that I can really go back to a lot. You know, I think that a reason why I can go back to it is that. Even, you know, it's it's a true story. And knowing that the the Christian Bale's character, Dickie, um, in real life, he gets better. And he does, you know, fight his addiction. And that's not what this movie shows, but it does have a clip at the end with them in present day, you know, the, the people that the movie's based on, and showing their interactions with each other and everything. And I think that had something tragic happened to him as a result of his addiction, I don't think I'd be able to watch it uh, as, you know, many times as I have seen it. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's excellent point. But those, but like the style of it and the performances are just like, Ooh, they really scratch an itch for me. And especially when it's showing those, I know we're talking about a different movie, but uh, when it's going into those fighting scenes and it has that look of those like, I don't know, the the 90s uh, HBO HBO boxing matches and stuff. And it's just like, oh yeah, it feels like I'm so in this right now. And that's something that, that David O. Russell, I think once he started to... Uh, be more of a of a Hollywood director and get budgets became really good at because he did it with Joy as well. Is really not just cr- recreating a time period, right? But recreating the media of that time period. Yeah, 
He does it with that. I mean, I'm pretty, I, I haven't seen American Hustle since I saw it in the theater, but again, he's, he's recreating another time period with that. Uh, and that one I think is definitely his, you know, very much his signature. Silver Linings playbook was, I think the most recent one that I felt was really kind of the the type of David O. Russell film that, that I want to see. Really? Would you say that over I Heart Huckabees? As you said before, I Heart Huckabees is kind of in a category of its own. <laughs> now, I Heart Huckabees could be the most, like, pu- could be the purest type of David O. Russell movie because it just takes everything that he approaches in other films and he just pushes it so much further out, not just with the whole, like, like existential mystery, but like the, a lot of the, the visuals in it, uh, especially with like Dustin Hoffman, Lily Tomlin, um, the performances, uh, Jude law. Oh my God. Is wonderful. Well, and that's the thing is like, you know, for our listeners, you, you know, Dan and I, we've, we we talk about movies all the t- all the time. That's why we have this podcast is because if we weren't recording it, we'd still be talking about it. And I Heart Huckabees is one of those movies where we bring it up a lot and mostly for like certain moments and certain lines in it and I uh, you know Jude Law's character especially, which I don't know if I could say about any other movie with Jude Law in it. There's not another movie where I'm just like, oh man, the way that Jude Law delivers that one line, oh, so good. But I Heart Huckabees, the way he says, and then Shania, and then sings. Shania sings. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> um, and and the whole thing, the the story that he tells on repeat about the tuna sandwich and uh, the way that that is used, and I believe, is Kevin Dunn one of his co-workers in that? Oh, probably. I, I know, because I just see Kevin Dunn being like, tell the Shania story, tell the Tuna story. Yes. And uh, the way that that is done in that movie is, that is David O. Russell's DNA if it had to be put onto film. Like, that's the way that's, that I see That's all the vibe that I get. Yeah. And, you know, you see it in different parts of Three Kings. I feel like there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, especially when it shows, like, the 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 gunshot wound to the lung and the way that that's described and everything. And, and when you have Spike Jones's character and when he's talking about what he has going on back home and how, you know, and mm-hmm. everything like that and ice cubes character and going back and flashing back to what he does. And I, I, I don't know, like there's just so much about David O. Russell's style that works in that movie that you don't see in a lot of war movies. Like it makes it so, feel so different from any other kind of war movie. And it's not just a war movie. It's a heist movie as well. It's a and treasure so, hunt movie. It's a heist movie. It, yeah, it, it's so many things. And, you know... It's uh, actually both of those more so than a war movie. It just happens to be set, like, in, in the, Gulf the, war. the yeah. theater of war. Right, yeah. It, it's... Well, I, I mean, technically, I mean, exactly after the war. I guess, yeah. It, yeah. Well, it's set, I mean, it's set against the backdrop of yeah. the... Uh, is it Operation... Is it Desert... It's, uh, yes, it's of course, it's Operation Desert Storm because yeah. it came out in 2000. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't... What was the... Like, yeah. So, anyway, um, it's great. The casting is great. Didn't... didn't Nora, Nora Dunn is in that, right? And I, I think she had a 
Nora Dunn's amazing in that. Nora Dunn is absolutely amazing in it. And uh, yeah, no, Three Kings. I feel like those were like the real like David O. Russell movies where it was really un like untethered. Huckabee's more so. Uh huh. Yeah, no, I agree. And Huckabee's is it's it's far from. I think it's it's far from perfect, but it's so it's one of those movies that is admirable for its flaws because of the risks that it takes and that it really dares to to be different. And it's great because, you know, we talked about the uh, when we were talking about Little Miss Sunshine, we talked about the uh, mid 2000s Fox Searchlight Uh indie boom of which I Heart Huckabee's. It certainly is. Yeah. And there. And, you know, I feel like if I if somebody said to me, like, show me two movies that define like your experience of the year 2004, I'd show them I Heart Huckabee's in Garden State. Yeah, um, I would I would probably show Garden State and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, I don't think I got into Eternal Sunshine until like a little bit later. I saw it in the theater and. It was kind of in the aftermath of a uh, r- like relationship breakup that Got it. that that definitely do it like like Eternal Sunshine. I, I, there were echoes of that. Ugh. So uh, so so like it's a be- like beautiful and wonderful movie, but it also like oh really- yeah, it's the kind of thing that everybody that's been in a breakup can relate to in some way. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, bringing things back to flirting with disaster, you know, in my notes, I have a few of the lines that I love. One of them being the baby batter line. Uh, The other two that I have on here are, you know, there's one line from Pearl that exemplifies her character in so many ways. Uh, and, And the one that I have written down is, uh, why does he have to do the roots thing? Aren't we good enough parents? Which is like, of course you think this is about you. That's the exact reason why he is having these problems is because his adopted mother makes everything about her and that over time creates all these like psychological effects that, you know, makes one wonder, you know, what is it that about me that is me or what is it that is, you know, nurture versus nature? Yeah. And um, the other one that I have is when uh, Taya Leone's character is about to light a cigarette when they're at the Schlichtings. And there's this whole thing about how, you know, Paul's on acid and she just goes, I guess it's just one of those ex-felon pro-acid kind of non-smoking homes. Yes. And it's so good. That's a great line. I I have a favorite line and that's, I have one of my favorite lines in that scene. It's, it's kind of a throwaway in the whole Schlichting scene. But uh-huh. when, when, when. Lily Tomlin is like consoling Lonnie and she said, I would love you even if you were Jeffrey Dahmer. And yeah. I don't know if it's the line or the way that she says it, mm-hmm. but it, like it the, just speaking resonates. of Lily Tomlin, the thing about this movie that has always stuck out to me, the thing that when I I think first watched this movie, when this moment happened, which is at the end of the movie essentially, made me stop and say, I love this movie. 
is when Lily Tomlin, they're sitting around the dinner table, and at first it seems, I mean, like a normal dinner amongst people connecting and everything. And then as they get more comfortable and start talking more about their history, Lily Tomlin puts her leg up on the table in this particular way, and it is just like, I don't know. The butterfly tattoo. The tattoo, and it's just like the way that she does it tells you everything that you need to know about that vibe. And that was all her. That's, of course, all her. Yeah. And she's she just completely nails it. I I think about that moment, and I'm just like, that is flirting with disaster. That is this movie. <laughs> like, going from, you know, the first potential mother, uh, Valerie Sweeney, mm-hmm. I think was her name, uh, who is an, you know, ultra conservative all the way to the other end with with Lily Tomlin's character. It is just outrageous the way that things unfold. But so many moments from the beginning when uh, um, Mel comes home after being at the adoption agency, which is how the film opens. Um, or I guess it opens with him. Yeah, it opens with him thinking about who his potential parents could be. And then he comes he comes home and uh Nancy's waiting for him. They have a, they have a date. They have a scheduled sex we date. Haven't, we haven't even talked about like the first 15 minutes of this movie. No, no, yeah. but how funny is it that he goes through this that he comes in and you don't realize it at first, but he and he's like, or wait, do you, yeah, you don't know at first, right? That that Taylor's character is there. Right. No, right. you don't. No, it's not until like he comes out because he uh was he go like change like do something with the baby. Okay. So there's they're starting, he comes home, realizes that he missed their intimacy date, and they're about to get busy, or whatever. The baby starts crying. He goes to put his pants back on, and Nancy's like, don't put your pants on to go get the baby. And he's like, you're right. And then he runs, goes to the hamper, puts on dirty pants to like go out and talk to Tina, who's there, then gets the baby, takes the pants off, then goes back into the bedroom to make it seem like he never took his, he never put pants back on, which is so bizarre. And then, uh, and then there's a bit of a sexual encounter while he's holding the baby, which oh, he's yeah. not comfortable with. But Nancy is like, "Nope, we're doing this." Yeah, yeah. It's and then it's funny because that also sets up a running joke. Y- yes, absolutely. Uh, but and a, the re- and difficulties with with oral sex. The reveal that Tina is there, and then Tina and Taylioni we haven't talked about, but we haven't even talked about Patricia Arquette. No, uh, no. But talk about amazing performances. <laughs> All yeah. around. Um, Taya Leone, who's also this uh, insecure neurotic. She's going through a divorce. She's yeah. getting her, she's getting her like degree in psychology. It's something. It's kind of vague. It's she's weird. like going to night school and, oh yeah, finishing her thesis. So, and she, and, and then she has this line about like, oh, I'm just a 30 year old baby hungry woman. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's. Her character, there's so much more going on, and you just learn more and more, and it's it's fascinating. And Tay Leone, like, uh, she's great. Uh, you know, you think about 
other performances of hers, you know, we talked about her in Deep Impact, and, you know, it's like, oh, there's so much more potential in there. I think that you know? was why I was so, that why I was, like, disappointed. Because I, I guess I was disappointed that Taya Leone, I think this was the first thing I saw her in, uh-huh. that she didn't do more comedy. Yeah. Um, and Patricia, Patricia Arquette is just a wonderful all around in this movie. She, she does so like she, you, you really feel for her character. Yeah, absolutely. She, who's just like a supportive, like rock during the entire thing. Who's completely getting sidelined for her husband's, you know, quest while he's also getting distracted by Tina and, and she's also got like she's going through post like some part postpartum and mm-hmm. like you know body insecurity and she she i mean it feels so real the yeah. way that um her portrayal and right down to that moment with with Josh Brolin which i i i don't want to i know it's it's been you know over 25 years since this movie came out <laughs> but the reveal some, is so worth it some details i'm just not going to uh to mention but her her like you really feel for her and you really understand her in this movie and i think that that it, it it's really i mean i don't know maybe i'm i'm wrong but it feels like this script which was written by David O. Russell shows yeah. a lot of consideration and respect to uh, its female characters. That's true. Yeah. Which and I, mean, I also want most of his films. Yeah, it's uh, true. I mean, there, there's somewhere the, the female is at the focus joy, <laughs> especially. Yeah. Um, but you know, something that I wanted to also mention is that this is the beginning of Ben Stiller and Patricia Arquette's, you know, uh, professional relationship. And I know that they haven't acted with each other in much, but recently we've seen uh, Ben Stiller directing her in Severance, which is a fantastic, fascinating show, and uh, Escape at Danamora, which I talk about all the time on this on this podcast, but it just keeps on coming up. And uh, Patricia, Patricia Arquette is incredible in both of those shows. And, you know, um, Ben Stiller is the, like, executive producer and directs a lot of those as well. So it's nice to see the beginning of their professional relationship in Flirting with Disaster. I feel like Patricia Arquette went very underappreciated until later in her career maybe boyhood was what really reminded everyone how amazing she is but you think back you think back to flirting with disaster you think further back to true romance yeah i i could probably go on those are the ones that come to mind before that she was in some stuff but nothing like significant um but if you look at the you know kind of the mid-career stuff it's you know she did Lost Highway, but I don't think that there was a, there were a lot of other things where she really maybe stood out so much um, until Boyhood. You know she was very active during yeah. all the rest of that time. No, but... I don't think she got the roles that really. No. I mean, like I remember Stigmata was a big one that she yep. starred in, and that was just like kind of a crap horror movie, but. Yeah, it's great to see her getting these roles. It's great to see that she's still working 
uh, with Ben Stiller. Yeah. Well, I, I also want to mention um, she was in uh, Human Nature, which is the Charlie Kaufman, Michelle Gondry movie that- Oh, with Tim Robbins. Know, yeah, that uh, didn't hit the way that the rest of, you know, uh, Charlie Kaufman of, stuff really it hit. It rode the coattails. Sure. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but Boyhood, for which she won the Academy Award, was just like a real amazing moment for her. And, you know, aside from, you know, her work in, in film and television, she's just an outspoken activist. Quite for, an advocate, yeah. Yeah, an advocate for equal pay and... Well, when they did... Sorry to interrupt, John. Go ahead. No, I'm no, no, sorry. Go ahead. When they did a... Um, they did something uh, for the 20th anniversary of Flirting with Disaster, which she couldn't attend because she was at Standing Rock. This was when the oh. uh, pro protests of the uh, Dakota, Dakota Access Pipeline, yeah. I believe it was called. Um, and she was there and she, like she sent a message back and was like, I'm sorry, I, like I would I would love yeah. to be there, but I am here and this is what I am doing and this is why I am doing it. Yeah. So this is someone who's really uses her position to uh, to help stand up for people who don't have that the voice that she has. A hundred percent. Yeah. So she's incredible. Like, hats off to Patricia Arquette for yeah. everything she's doing. Okay. All right. It's time. It's time. Dan, what in the world would you do with this movie? Oh boy. Well, other than just like watch it more frequently <laughs> than I have, I I was thinking about uh the different different routes and thinking about, you know, oh, what a maybe a a, a Schlichting based prequel set in the 60s where you encounter them in a young Fritz Boudreau. Uh which I mean, okay, but I think what what came to me most was was a sequel. And, okay. you know, modern day set sequel, which, you know, like we we've got Lily Tomlin and Alan Alda. So and this movie ends with the Schlichtings, I think, going to Mexico. So they're they're fleeing to Mexico. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, I could see that the Schlichtings uh, need to get back into the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, their only way to do to do this is to establish that they have a child living in the country who needs their their help so of course they so now first it was mel tracking them down so they they track mel down mel is also faced with becoming a grandparent as garcia copeland uh right. <laughs> their their son is now um you know, an adult and is is starting a family. So it's kind of, you know, in flirting with disaster, it's he's seeking his roots. And this is where his roots come and find him, even though he might not want. And now he's kind of got to uh, now, like Garcia, which we don't maybe Garcia has not been told the full truth about his biological grandparents mm -hmm. and they show up and he's or maybe that's even who they find. Maybe that's who they look up is is that that's that, what I was thinking that baby. because I can yeah. imagine Mel wants nothing to do with them. But if they find Garcia, they have a better shot. 
Right, right. And then they and then they end up having to run in with Mel. And I mean, like, why not? Because Alan Alda, um, you know, I think he's still is he's still working. He's still uh, I believe so. Yeah. I want to say I think uh, um, I think he's been on some episodes of Ray Donovan. OK. Um, yeah. Yep. So, uh, and Lily Tomlin, uh, you know, Grace and Frankie. Sure. So I would love to see the Schlichtings return and, uh, you know, turn up a little turn turmoil for the <laughs> Copelands. Sadly, Mary Tyler Moore and George Siegel pour a whole bunch yeah. out are no longer with us. So you wouldn't have the return of their characters. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could go. I would prefer that it's that David O. Russell is writing the script and 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 making it, which um, Lily Tomlin was at uh, did attend the 20th anniversary. So Interesting. I, I believe they have patched things up because okay. they were definitely on stage together for that. Yeah, that's another thing that I, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, that I noticed about uh, David O. Russell and the the issues that he's had with particular actors is that you then see them on stage doing panel discussions together and speaking to and about each other with respect. Not that I can say that about Amy Adams, but... You know, there's certainly a um, it seems like he in certain cases can, as we, uh, you know, to to paraphrase uh, Stuart Smalley, make amends. <laughs> now, I just want to see a movie about David O. Russell where he goes, I want to make an amends. <laughs> maybe maybe the movie, maybe it's just about David O. Russell going to anger management that's being instructed by Stuart, by Stuart Smalley. Smalley. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. So, so yeah, or so Donnie any, Smalley, or oh yes, <laughs> any excuse for Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. So, John, what's what's your plan? Were you thinking along the same lines, Dan? You literally said, and then shot down my exact thought, which was to have a prequel about <laughs> the adventures of fit of uh, Fritz Boudreau. And I uh, and his gal Mary, and then the situation that end that turns up once the Hell's Angels meet Richard Schlichting, Schlick, <laughs> Schlichting, and uh, you know and his own uh, biker gang, the Shit Kings, the Shit Kings. But uh, I I feel like uh, Fritz Boudreau is just such an amazing character that we only just get to see a little bit of, and I bet that when he was young. And uh, wa- like wild and adventurous, he was probably a lot of fun. Who do you think who would be good as a young Fritz Boudreaux? That's a great question. I mean, who is a young David Patrick Kelly? Does such a thing exist? No, uh, no one. No one really. Um, I, I probably would have like maybe like five ten years ago. I might have said like Charlie Day. You know, I could see I could see Charlie Day still being able to do that. You know, I'm thinking about David Patrick Kelly, and it's not like it needs to be a David Patrick Kelly facsimile, but I'm just like thinking about like his jaw and his chin. And, you know, of course you have like your 
your Chalamets who have like the jaw and the chin, but I don't think that Chalamet would be good for this. Maybe for a Garcia, but uh, but not oh. for uh, not for Fritz Boudreaux. I don't know. It would be interesting uh, to see. I think him... he's a little too scrawny to be a Fritz. I feel like Fritz is scrawny. Fritz is scrawny, but I feel like not in the same way that Chalamet not a young is. a young Hell's Angels. Yeah. Fritz, Fritz Boudreaux. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, Chalamet doesn't doesn't quite cut it. In this. He would be a good Garcia Copeland, though. You're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I, hadn't, I had not thought about that. but I could yeah. see Ben Stiller and Patricia Arquette's love child being pretty Chalamet-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I don't know who, who would be a good... Uh, a good Young Fritz Boudreau. How about a young like who would be Mary? Who would be like nineteen mid sixties, early to mid sixties, Mary and Richard? Oh man, I think that for for Mary, I think I would say somebody like hmm. Only because I like her so much and feel like she could do anything. Uh, Jesse Buckley. Not that she looks like uh, Lily Tomlin or anything. No, but, but she, I uh, think she could. Get, I think she could pull off that. I think she, she'd really pull off that character. I think so too. Uh, and and she's just fantastic. I think that for uh, Richard Schlichting, I could potentially see Zach Woods. That's who I was thinking. <laughs> Were you really thinking Zach? We've literally never said his name on this podcast before. I'm. I think we have. Maybe not in a long time. But I, I was. Well, because when you're thinking of he's somebody tall and has this just like way about him, and you yeah. can see him being the like wealthy guy who wants to hang out with the Hell's Angels. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. It would be so it would fascinating be if, that you were thinking that. You too. read my mind. That was literally what I was thinking because Zach I could. Woods. And here's how. So I, here, as you're, as we're talking about it, and I'm thinking about it before before I ask it, and I'm like, who would I pick? And I'm like, who's that guy from Silicon Valley? Oh. And and then I re- I remembered his name. Um, and then you said it. <laughs> you know, another person that I could see would be. Uh, Tim Simons, Timothy Simons. Oh yes, yeah. Who yes. is on Veep From as Veep, Jonah? Yes. yes. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of tall guys mostly. Right, right. Tall uh, guys who can who can do comedy. <laughs> yeah, tall guys who can do comedy. Uh, oh, but uh, Tim Timothy Simons is uh, so funny. But I think Zach Woods is the is the guy. Z- yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but not, also not, also not there's just something about the name Fritz Boudreaux. What a choice. What a choice to make to name him Fritz Boudreaux. That's beautiful. And yeah. 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 No. All, um, like, I mean. Fantastic. A lot of the names is Valerie Swaney. There's something about that name that just like, it feels good. I mean, Schlichting in general is fantastic. Uh, I don't think that Mel Coplin or, or Nancy or Tina, I don't think there's anything like. You know that stands out so much about them, but uh, Lonnie, Lonnie Schlichting, like that's so great. The way that Lily Tomlin says Lonnie is there's it's just like it's like the sound of a of a bell, you know? Oh yeah, <laughs> we would love you even if you were Jeffrey Dahmer. So good. Um, His yeah, little Dan, song any... when he's doing the quail. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 
any. Those uh, are the, these are the things, though, that like I watched this movie once and then I, I owned it on VHS. But oh, yeah, I never I, I for some reason never like pursued like owning the movie or, or watching it that much again, which I don't know why, because this last uh, viewing of it was just reminded of of how wonderfully funny I found it the first time I saw it. And now this time um, it, it just, it, it struck me even, even more. And I just, just I also want to give this movie credit for its economy. It moves so fast, but you still retain everything. There is not a bit of information that is wasted the exposition does not feel like exposition. You get everything exactly what you need to get it. And there are, you know, everything is is just exactly as it needs to be. And I think a lot, so credit, of course, to uh, Russell for the script and direction. And a comment that I read, I read Roger Ebert's review okay. at the time. And I, I believe it was Roger Ebert who said that he felt that most of the budget must have gone to the cast towards yeah. towards getting this cast. And if that's the case, I say that is smart spending because, well, you could not yes. have cast this better. Yes. But I would also say that, like, Ben Stiller, Patricia Arquette and Taya Leone, you know, they're the ones that are in it the most. And this they're not like super seasoned this is still early career movies for for them or, or projects for them uh it's when you get to like mary tyler moore and, and george siegel alan alda lily tomlin that well, that's yeah that, i think that, that's it's where... just it's just that but it's not like they're in it excessively that it probably cost you know a ton i mean they're they certainly have their fair share of screen time but it's certainly not the whole movie you know, for somebody like uh, Josh Brolin, this was not when Josh Brolin was, no. you know, super hot or anything, well, you know. I mean, it's 10 years after, 11 years after The Goonies. It's after The Goonies, <laughs> right. But you can't no. think about too much that he was doing uh, during that time until you get into the 2000s and you start seeing him pop up in more and more things. I feel yeah. like he, you know, really hit his stride um, after. Like No Country for Old Men. Old, no Country for Old Men. Yeah, exactly. Around W. He's yeah, great, he's mm-hmm. great in that. Um, and actually reminded me something else that I uh, had read about it was that uh, they were trying to cast Dick Van Dyke as right uh, to play Mary Tyler Moore's husband. Right. Which I mean, I think she said no to that. Right. I think it would. Yeah, I don't. I don't I'm glad it didn't work out. But George Siegel just plays it so wonderfully. The, the scene where he's complaining about the cheese and then you see in the background, she's attacking him with the like brie wheel. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah. I, I, you know, and there was also something that I saw about Burt Reynolds being uh, considered for this, but due to problems that he had on a set for some other movie, he did not uh was not in it um but uh i also definitely wanted to shout out uh christopher uh Tellefson, who was the editor on this and i'm not going to go into the whole the entire filmography for uh for chris but it is uh extensive going back to 1986 going through 
2021. So very active, maybe not an editor you've heard a ton about, but when you see the uh, the list of movies, it's just like, oh yeah. And then you think about it and you're just like, oh yeah, the editing was really good in that. And I will yeah. say uh, he also did uh, edit Joy. So the collaboration uh, did not end with Flirting with Disaster, but uh, I believe that that's, those are the only two projects they have done together. All right. Wow. Yeah. It's such a, such a fun movie. If you've never seen it, check it out. I, I, uh, you know, and it's also one of those movies that you look at and you're like, it's a good thing. They like try, like had this idea and made it before things like cell phones, uh, yeah. the advent of 23 and me and, and all those things that, that kind of would have taken a lot of the fun out of the, cause if he doesn't, if he doesn't use the, the phone at the B and B, I know they, they don't, Pearl and uh, uh, George Siegel don't don't try to come down to New Mexico. Yeah, and you know you gotta yeah. have that old troll at the B and B. Oh, amazing! You are not good B and B people. That's because <laughs> we hate B and Bs. Another one that just anytime there's talk of going to a B and B, I just want to say we're not good B and B people. <laughs> it's so funny. It, it's just so funny and. Uh, it makes me smile to think about so many things about this movie. You can hear uh, the way that we talk about it. We talk about it only with a affection. wonderful movie that I hope more people seek out and see. Yeah. Which is not something that I would say to describe the, the film that we're going to be talking about on the next episode. Yeah. Well, uh, Dan, why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about the next episode? So, um, yeah, definitely not a uh, underground, independent cult classic. Um, we can take everything out except for the classic because yeah, I think uh, I think you'd agree. Back to the Future is a classic. Yeah, and yeah. we're gonna talk about Back to the Future. We're gonna talk about Back to the Future Part Two. We're gonna talk about Back to the Future Part Three. Which means I have to watch that for the first time since it came out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be, yeah, all things uh, all things back to the future. Yeah. So um, really, really excited for, for that one. Yeah. And uh, to our wonderful listeners, thank you for, for spending this time with us. And if you have any thoughts about Flirting with Disaster, the Back to the Future movies, or anything else we've talked about on this show, or just some thoughts that you have, Feel free to email us, ruinchildhoodspod at gmail.com. We have an entire linked tree of stuff in this episode description, including our tea public store. And um, Dan, as you are learning how to drive a big rig from Fritz Boudreau, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. <laughs> <laughs>